Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given. I'm Mike McCarthy. This is a brand new podcast where we focus on the laws of the game and those who enforce them. Over the last 18 months, we've spent a lot of time reminding ourselves why football is nothing without fans, but it's also nothing without referees. So here we're going to scrutinise what goes right as well as what goes wrong. This show is going to be just as much about understanding how the laws of the game work, what it's really like to be a referee. And we're going to do something that doesn't happen a lot in football media, and that is give referees credit. So who better to go on this journey with than a former FIFA referee and former boss of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. Hello. Hello, Mike. Delighted to be on the new show. Uh, How much are you looking forward to the uh, start of the new season, first of all? I really am. Uh, I think this, the thing that I really don't miss, and that is the fitness tests. I think a lot of people are not aware that prior to the season, referees have got to get fit, just like players, and then they have to go through a fitness test. And this, for me, was always the difficult thing, because psychologically, you knew if you failed, your own credibility dipped. Um, and... I think, in a way, that helped the training. So how, how fit does a Premier League referee have to be these days? Fitter than I used to be, in fairness. Uh, their expectation is that they'll run round about 12,000 metres in a game. And the game's changed. From my era, it was endurance. So my training was usually round and round a football pitch at Thorncliffe Wreck, which is close by in Sheffield. And then on the road for sprinting, using the the lights in the evening, trying not to get run over. But when we had the passback law introduced, the dynamics of the game changed. It raised the speed profiles of the games by about 40%, which meant then we had to change. Endurance was important, but then, if you like, impact, ice-level sprinting, if you like, became more important because for a referee to operate he's got to see recognize think and act and the first process is of course seeing and if you don't see an incident then you're not going to respond to it and the shortfall in refereeing often is that they're caught out of position and when they're caught out of position by the quality of the players we've got to understand that a pass of 50 yards has got to be putting the referee under pressure to get up with play, to be able to see any incidents that occur, particularly around the penalty area. So sprinting became more important. And this really was the move from amateurs in a professional world to to specifically setting up the PGMOL to become professional referees, bringing in sports scientists, bringing in nutritionists to ensure that we were eating the right food at the right times, particularly prior to a game. And then a sprint coach, because the body shape of a referee is is literally vertical, unlike a player that might slope at 45 degrees, just like a sprinter ready to start a race. And what we found was when we put a high-speed camera on the referee, He was losing three seconds. Actually, the body was energizing by going backwards slightly, 
before then the explosion, a little bit like a rubber sort of band being wound up. So we brought in a sprint coach as well to change the shape of the body in terms of the getting ready. And the, and the referees understanding which was the best foot to, in which to create an explosive sprint. So when you were being assigned games, on one hand, you might be thinking, oh, I might get a bit of stick from fans of X, Y or Z club. But are you also thinking, oh, I'm going to have to do a lot of running around here? Yeah, I mean, certainly with with some teams, uh, you know, if you, for example, I'll go to Wimbledon because I think that's pretty easy. Tough set of players to manage. I always seem to get on with them quite well. But they would have an habit of kicking the ball long. And you had to adapt. So rather than, you know, as soon as a goal kick's awarded, for example, or a free kick in defence for Wimbledon, you had to make certain that you were hovering halfway in your opponent's, in their opponent's half to be able to catch the ball as it's dropping. You know, one of the, one of the things that I often talk about refereeing, about this positioning thing, is that you'll see young referees that come into the game and the first thing they do is they're keeping it, they're watching the ball in order to determine their position. And I just use uh, a, a, a simple line and saying, look guys, the ball never committed an offence. It's the players that commit offence. So you've got to guess and judge where the ball is going to be dropping and getting up your position accordingly. So you might come out wide and move in to where the dropping zone is because, you know, you can be a proactive. I'm, I was very much a proactive referee. So I'd be shouting, arms down, don't push, don't push, don't pull, don't pull. Play the ball cleanly. All things to avoid, if you like, uh, a stoppage in the game. And when it got a bit too much, is there anything you can do as a referee <laughs> <I> <laughs> to, think, to get yourself out of trouble? <laughs> I, I even see it today. I smile sometimes when a referee gets caught 50 yards behind, suddenly the whistle goes and I go, I smile because I know what that's for. That's to allow the referee to catch up. And um, <laughs> Mike, we've all done that. We've, we've, we've all sort of gone, oh, crikey. The biggest criticism I have of referees, and this is the danger, is they have to pass that fitness test. But I say to them, you're not getting fit to pass the test. It's maintaining that fitness throughout the season, which is about injury prevention. And it's about using that fitness on the field of play. I mean, I see some, you know, at Premier League, I see referees like Craig Pawson, Chris Cavano, who are really good referees. Make no mistake, they've gone through the same system of grassroots football right through to the top. I just think they could be that much better if they just put a little bit more physical effort in and increase their speed profiles. And I thought towards the back end of last season, I was smiling a little bit because I saw Craig Porson on a couple of games and I, I felt that he he'd actually was improving in that area. And as a result, his overall refereeing and the perception of the fans of his refereeing was improving. And, and, you know, you can't referee a football match from the sidelines. And you can't referee a football match if you're in the opposite half to where the play is taking place. 
Actually, I think most of us do think we can referee a game from the sidelines, but uh, that's <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing, isn't it? Look, I mean, lots of you will remember uh, Keith from uh, his refereeing days, many of you from the, the his days in the PGMOL, and you may well remember Keith as well uh, as the man for providing answers to devilish football refereeing conundrums uh, in the You Are The Ref comic strip. Now, on this show, we want to throw your teasers at him as well. Uh, this week, Keith, I've come up with one on my own just to get this, this going. Uh, but if you want to suggest one, you can send us an email. Hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is uh, how you can get in touch. So here's what we've got for you today, Keith. It is the last minute of a hotly contested local derby. And with the scores at 1-1, the home side win a stoppage time penalty. Now, the home team striker who was booked earlier in the match, coolly slots in what must surely be the winner and celebrates by removing his shirt and giving it to a young fan in the stands. Now, the away team's captain argues that this should be the home striker's second booking. But as you consider the situation, you notice the striker is wearing an identical second shirt beneath the one he gave away. What do you do? We will get Keith's answer to that later in the show. Now, a new season means new laws normally, new interpretations. Is it fair to say this summer, Keith, it's been more about evolution rather than revolution? I think it has. Um, and, I, and I think that's good for the game. I think the one that area that troubled me was accidental handball because I felt that football generally, when a defender accidentally handled the ball, they automatically wanted a penalty kick. So we had this lengthy debate on what is handball and what is not handball. And, you know, deliberate still is part of the handball law. And I think around that was the area of what is deliberate in terms of this body shape, uh, making the body larger. And, And I think that to some degree, towards the end of the season, we got a bit of common sense. We had a bit of sort of step back from where the original law was and the interpretation softened, which I think was a good thing. So not every handball was getting punished. But the laws changed this season where we're actually looking at accidental handball only when the player who scored the goal being penalised, the forward being penalised. And I think that's a good thing because we were looking at accidental handball, player going down the wing, accidentally handles the ball, it bobbles up, it, it, it hits him accidentally, and then he crosses it, have a, one or two plays, and then the ball goes in the back of the net. We're all saying, well, he accidentally handled it, can't be a goal. And, and the IFAB have tightened up on that and said, look, it really is the scorer that's going to be penalised. But I have to say... Accidental handball is accidental handball. It's not a law that I like. I still think that instead of confusing all the stakeholders in the game, they should just say, look, if it's deliberate, and in the opinion of the referee, it's deliberate, then that's the one that should be penalised. And and for me, it's relatively easy for the PGMOL to set the scene for other referees because they can bring the referees together they can have the debate, they can show the video clips, they can agree what is deliberate, what is not in the education bit. They can then go to the managers in their pre-season meetings and say, this is how we're applying the law. 
and then they can go into the training ground with the players and also explain. And that way, I think it will help refereeing at grassroots level. But hey, we've got what we have. And as referees, we have to apply the law to the book uh, and use a bit of common sense, I think, whenever possible. Yeah, well, there's this interesting conflict, isn't there, between um, the Premier League asking for things sometimes and and referees having to go, well, this is what the law says. And we may see a little bit of that with with VAR this season because the Premier League have been asking for thicker lines, maybe not the best way of explaining what's going to be going on with offside. Uh, can you sort of expand on that a little bit? What what are we going to be seeing in, in the Premier League when it comes to offside? And is it going to reduce the amount of controversy we see about particularly marginal decisions? Well, I think, first of all, um, the way that UEFA in the Euros operated the offside, what we saw was the use of thicker lines. Now, that's not new. They, the Dutch suddenly being a little bit bright and forward thinking suddenly said, actually, way back, we're going to thicken the lines to avoid the toenail and the nonsense that we've experienced. And then what you do is you actually say, look, what does the game want? And all of a sudden, we saw last season, the season before, the PGMOL batting against what the game wants. And also not interpreting the VAR criteria in the way that UEFA and FIFA were operating it. Because the first line is clear and obvious. So they were reacting, I think, to the media, to the fans, thinking that's got to go to VAR. And we almost got to a point where everything went to the VAR. And the referee was becoming, if you like, lazy. I'll rely on the VAR to pull me out the mire. So I think, and this is dependent on, on Mike Riley. He's the head of the PGMOL. He's the guy who sets the scene, not the Premier League. The Premier League do have no basis on which to change a law, change an interpretation. That's not their remit. Otherwise, they're treading on a very difficult area. You know, remembering the Premier League are in fact 20 teams, which the referees have got to officiate. So I think it's, it's worked well in, in the Dutch game. It's worked well in UEFA. Let us have the wider lines and where they come together can't be offside. Let's operate that. I think let us stop the nonsense of us as, if you like, spectators, watching the man in the VAR room coming to terms with the technology and the lines being drawn and, and like you see the moving lines and all of a sudden, you know, it's a toe offside. I think we've gone too deep with that. I, I, I think there's a balance in which we accepted in UEFA, if somebody says it's not offside, it's not offside. I kind of sympathise a little bit with the PGMOL when it came to drawing the offside lines, kind of to show the transparency of this is how we're doing it. It's not like, you know, it goes into a magic box and all of a sudden you get a yes or a no. You, you can see how this is being done. But obviously it became extremely frustrating and maybe that was a consequence that we didn't imagine would happen. I think that there was a lack of forethought 
and the lack of understanding. You know, when when I worked with Orkai on the development of goal line technology, I the, the basis of which I started was all I want you is to give me the system that says that ball's over or it's not. And I don't want to be told it's not over. I only want to be told when that ball has crossed the line. I don't want any human element. And that's why I think it's been successful. We don't, we don't have a human element in it. Now, in, in, in the, the basis of the offside law, it's quite a complex law. Let it, it, it's a simple law, but complex in its application. Because you can have a spread of interpretation. The foundation of the offside decisions given by VAR through the PGMOL in recent seasons is flawed. And the reason it's flawed is because the camera speeds at the moment are not fast enough. If you take goal line technology, there's seven cameras around each goal mic and they're operating at 500 frames per second. The, the movement, if you like, and the position of the picture is really slight and it gives you that accurate level of accuracy. When we come to VAR and now PGMOL have accepted and operated, it's on 50 frames per second. So when we actually look at the speed of the game and we look at using goal line technology as the datum point, I'm saying to you, the system is flawed. And, and my basis of this is quite simple. To get accuracy of the level that football requires, we had 500 frames per second, 700 cameras, a special piece of software, calibrated hopefully before the game. I doubt whether it was in the Aston Villa, Sheffield United game. But when we actually get to a point where it's 50 frames per second, I can pick three frames that are a lot different. And therefore, that's where I think the problem lies. The technology that they're using is dependent on the slide that they pick, the, the picture at that point out of the 50 that they select. Now what you've got is, not only have you got that, but I, I worry about the fact that with goal line technology, I've got one line and a moving ball. And the reason the ball is patterned is, to, is for, the, for the system, the cameras, to, to capture the outer circumference of the ball in order to compute the system to give you a ball over the line. With offside, we've got, first of all, the player, and the point at which he, pick, he kicks the ball, you've got the distance that can, can be 30 yards, can be 40 yards or less. And then you've got the interpretation of law. You haven't committed an offence if you're in an offside position. You only be committed when you're active or if you're interfering with play or you've gained an advantage. So the complexity of the law says to me, let us operate like Euro. And with that, also stop the nonsense of this delayed flag by the assistant referee. Let us, where it's very obvious that a player is offside, put the flag up straight away in order to avoid a catastrophe of a player getting injured. It's not an easy law to use technology to apply it. And this is why I think Arsene Wenger, in his position of 
director of technical technology at uh, FIFA. That might not be his title, but he's certainly the head of, of the technical aspects of, of football. I think he's going a step further by using biomechanics, all the technology that is there, and trying to introduce that into a football scenario. Do you have hope that that will work then? Uh, this is this the idea of a, a semi-automated offside, if you like, that uh, there are some suggestions we might see that in a couple of years. And, and you're taking essentially the assistant referee's role out of the equation somewhat at the top level. I think if the criteria is laid down, there are sufficient clever people to actually come up with the answers. I mean, I, you know, I, I work closely with Orkai. There's some, you know, Dr. Paul Hawkins, a, a brilliant scientist, if you like, uh, who was using MOD tracking devices. And of course, technology in tracking has now improved, GPS, all those systems have improved. So it's not beyond the wit of man to actually develop the technology that gives an, a, a, a decision without the use of the human. Now, speaking of the humans, we should uh, we should say there's going to be four new uh, referees who are going to be right at the centre of things uh, in the Premier League. Uh, there's going to be Jared Gillett, Michael Salisbury, uh, Tony Harrington, John Brooks as well. Uh, who are you most pleased to see in the top flight uh, next season? Who are you most excited to see, Keith? Well, I think there are two referees I'm really excited to see. I think that someone has taken a real plunge in bringing Michael Salisbury, who's not as experienced as the other three in refereeing terms. He's a young guy who is showing terrific promise. And therefore, I'm really pleased. You know, we did that with Atwell. We did that with Oliver. They've come on and delivered. It took, obviously, my... Um, Stuart Atwell a little bit longer, but he's now establishing himself as a really good experienced Premier League referee. Michael Oliver, just like from day one, was something that was different. A little bit like Howard Webb, Mark Plattenberg, Graham Paul. These guys stand out for many, many different reasons. So can he be in that category, do you think? I think that if he's the, the one area that concerns me is coaching, because I think at the PJML, there, there are two areas that really concern me about PJML and how it operates. One, they did away with some really good coaches. You know, Paul Durkin was a good coach, Tom Bune, Roger Dilks, Trevor Simpson, outstanding coaches. They coach people like Howard Webb and are still of an age to be able to do that now, but Mike Riley moved them on and replace them with, I think, less efficient people and, 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 and probably not as good a referees in their day. You know, Paul Durkin was an outstanding referee, Dilks and Trevor Simpson equally. They were more than just referee coaches. When that game goes wrong and the referee needs advice, they give it. If they needed a bit of support, and a bit of confidence building, they give it. So I think that, I think with Salisbury, we've got a, a really good future, hopefully, and he'll get bedded in and the right level of advice. The next referee is Jared Gillett, who I know because Jared, some years ago, when I was the boss, I invited referees from New Zealand 
from Australia to spend a week with us. They paid for their own travel, or the FA did, and they came and spent a week or more. They refereed the odd reserve game or academy game. But the great thing was that they could see what our referees were doing, the amount of effort they were putting into their training, the diet side of things, the discussion and the open debate that we had, you know, referees disagreeing with decisions, looking, playing them on the screen and saying, that's a penalty kick. No, it isn't. Justify it. Um, and Gerard is, had a wonderful coach, a guy called Ted Kearney. Went, to, went back to Australia, refereed and became their number one referee. And if you go to YouTube, you will see him handling the Australian's top game, open mic, VAR, and how he deals with VAR. I think, yeah, many people will have seen that and been very, very impressed. And it also leads on to bigger questions about why we're unable still uh, to hear what referees are saying uh, in, in the Premier League and how long that may take. There's a history, isn't there? It, you know, they're followers and they're, they're years, light years behind. I just think that the guys who are running football should take a look at Rugby Union. The difficult game at the weekend, the Lions in South Africa, and the, the coach having a real pop at the, the referee, the standard of refereeing. And that, that guy walking out in the middle of a very difficult cauldron and then dealing with some really difficult decisions. But the one thing is, we could hear him, we could listen to his conversations, you know? It's not the threat to display, it was just, I want an improvement. Captain, get the message to him. Now, this is what referees in the Football League and the Premier League do. Unfortunately, football doesn't want that openness. I don't know why, because most of the referees that I talk to, and I'm sure the ones that you come across, are ones that actually um, have, a, have a great line of discussion and debate. And I wonder as well, because the, there was a clip from an FA Cup final a couple of years ago. I think it was Manchester United, Chelsea in the FA Cup final. And audio of the conversation between the referee and the VAR was released. And the emotion I felt after listening to that was just awe at the amount of things that were going on in such a short period of time, the efficiency in which the referees had to work. And actually, I just wonder whether there would be a greater appreciation of the significance and the difficulty of the job by releasing audio like that. Yeah, I, I, you know, I mean, I can remember watching a game of rugby and it looked as though a player was going to be sent off. It looked a, it looked a horrendous challenge. And the two touch judges have come in and they're now going to view the video. And the referee remained calm and said, right, okay. And he played it in slow motion. And I've gone, he's going, it's, it, you know, this is a train crash. And then the referee just suddenly said, uh, could you play that normal speed, please? Played it at normal speed. And his answer was, that's rugby. Let's get on with it. And, and I, I thought that clip summed it up because the players accepted that he'd reviewed it, the guy who was on the receiving end accepted that it wasn't a thuggery, piece of thuggery by, by his opponent. It was a genuine attempt to win the ball and bounce him over. And I just feel that in football, if we had that, you know, the referee who's saying to the player, look, 
I want, I want an improvement in your behavior. Captain, can you get the message across? I don't want to red card him. I want to try and avoid that. There's no threat of a red card here. I just want you to improve your behavior. We're at a football field here. Or, you know, I can remember running alongside, uh, I think it was Paul Gascoigne, and pulling him to one side, stopping and saying, Paul, my son's at this game and he's come to watch you play, not argue with his dad. Can you just like concentrate on the game of football? Right, Keith, and away he went. Communication is a massive part of the art of the referee. Seen Them Given is supported by Premier Events, one of the UK's leading event management and event production companies. Premier pride themselves not only on offering first-class customer service, but more importantly, they take the stress out of planning events for corporate and private clients alike. Many of us are working more from home, so whether it's a fully virtual business update on Premier's very own streaming platform, a glamorous in-person awards ceremony, or a hybrid of the two for a retailer conference, Premier has everything under one roof to deliver stress-free, world-class events. Premier's team supports you every step of the way. That includes creating and designing content to ensure your audience is engaged and motivated, proud and energised. Whatever your goal, Premier's experienced creative team are on hand to guide you through the process. From their base in Leicestershire, Premier are perfectly positioned to service the whole of the UK and beyond. They even offer a free venue finding service for in-person events to ensure you get the best space possible for your budget. Visit www.premier-limited.com to take the first step towards taking the stress out of your next event. And getting into the season for these four new top flight referees is going to be uh, interesting on lots of levels, not least because they'll have spent the last 18 months or so refereeing not in front of full stadiums. And all of a sudden you might be into uh, some very huge atmospheres. Uh, so how do you go about bedding in new referees in the top flight? What do the likes of Jared Gillett, Michael Salisbury, Tony Harrington, John Brooks, what do they need to do in the first few weeks and months of the season? I'm sure they'll have trained hard and it, they'll be in the team or in the squad at these regular meetings of the SG1 referees. And they've got to, if you like, impart their own personality on, the, on their colleagues. But from an active point of view, the first thing that you've got to do is, if uh, it's proven, if you speak to sports psychologists, someone working in an environment that's unknown to them, then that increases the stress levels. So they'll work with sports psychologists. And in that sense, we'll put the referees out as fourth officials first, because the, the one thing they've got to know is the geography of the pitch. And just, just get a feel. So if you're there as fourth official, you're there, you're there just on the perimeter of it, but you've got the feel of the crowd, the geography, where to come off, and all the things that, that happen in a football match. And the technical bits, you know, meeting with the ground commander and the, the head of the security prior to a football match and going through that discussion. What about the egress of players if there's a problem? All those aspects of crowd, crowd trouble. Um, so there's these added things, the little things. 
like you've got to kick off on time at the right time. And you'll often see at the side of the pitch, the TV guy uh, giving the countdown because the one thing you don't want to do is kick off early because, you know, a Premier League game is beamed across the world through 45 television companies. And if you kick off a minute early and a goal is scored, you've got a problem because the other teams, the other, the other countries are just switching on. They've played the ads to get into the game. Welcome to this stadium. By the way, it's 1-0. You missed it. So there are logistical things that the referee's got to be aware of. And of course, often he's going to be faced with two assistant referees that are very experienced. And he's got to impose his own authority, his own personality on it. So these are things that they can work on off the game. And of course, in, in the modern game, the teams and the coaches know who the referee is. They know his experience and so do the players often. I say to the young referees that are coming on, try and just get through the game without controversy. Try and be low key. The things that you see, Mike, a player goes down injured and you see the young referee coming in and he gets footy. His arms are going, his hands are going, and you know that this is a guy who lacks a bit of maturity in terms of the big games. If you watched uh, Bjorn Kuypers in the Euros, who did the referee who did the final, you see the maturity coming through. He's not phased. The game's played at his pace. You know, he's not the quickest guy on the block, but he's fit, but he's not the quickest. So the game's played at his pace. He'll take his time. Just like a midfielder, if you look at all the quality midfielders that played in, in top-level games, the one thing that I see in them is time. They have this ability to have the vision. You know, they don't rush. They're, they're confident on the ball. The referees have to develop the similar skill sets, not trapping the ball, but being confident that they're reading the game well, they're getting into those positions, and they're treating players with respect in the hope that they get respect. And so if the manager comes on up to me or as, as a young referee and asks a question, I'll say to him, look, see me in the dressing room, 30 minutes, and we'll have a chat and I'll listen to you. Not trying to explain on a football field where the manager's unhappy. And I probably don't know what he's talking about. It's far better to go in the dressing room and prepare. And that gives the manager a little bit of time to calm down. And I don't confront the manager. So if, if a manager's coming at me, then I'm ready to face him. I'm not going to run away. I'm going to confront. And the way to do that is I lean forward and I put the stop signal out and say, right, you've gone far enough. Talk to me, don't shout. What's your problem? Okay, let us now uh, continue this in my dressing room. To get there is is a lot of work and a lot of time, isn't it? I mean, you know, how long did it take for you to feel, comfortable is probably the wrong word, but happy in your surroundings and confident to, to act in that way? 12 years. 12 years of refereeing in black grassroots football. And if you take Michael Oliver, he was eight years and he was really, he'd really quick getting onto the uh, top level of the game. 
So as a consequence, you never stop learning. And you can learn a lot from other referees. It doesn't have to be a top class referee having a debate with another top class referee to learn. Often you pick up things from your referees in local football. You know, they might have seen you on television and they might say, what did you do that for? You looked aggressive. Well, I, was, I was into the game, I was into the mode and all those sort of things. Sometimes you're saying, look, the best thing you can do is ease back a bit, give yourself distance. Despite having great confidence, most referees lack confidence because they're only as good as the next game. And therefore, in a sense, you don't want to be told you're good. But what you do need to do is understand carefully the, the shortcomings. And, I, and this is where an assessor comes in. Look, Mike, watch, bear with me. Look, I'm showing you some paper now. And what these are, are, are important pieces of paper, because these are my assessments. And these are of, of particular games? Yeah, yeah. Uh, right. I'll, I'll give you an example. 27th of August, 1991. Okay. Uh, now, I'm not a nerd here. I'm not a nerd. But I'm, I'm so here. This is Middlesbrough versus Newcastle United. It's a League Division Two game. Application of laws. The laws were correctly applied in this game. Player intent was recognised throughout. The one caught in the game for an impetuous outburst was dealt with firmly and in a dignified manner. The caution was administered in the prescribed manner, followed by a yellow card. You did anticipate play and positioning yourself accordingly, with all major decisions being given in a close proximity to the incident. Side views were upturned. You were prepared to move to your far corners to cover play. Fitness, you move freely throughout the game. Advantage, the use of advantage matched the mood of the game. You were quick to pick up the possible advantage signal and same by voice and arm signal. Um, spectators understand it. Signals, decisions were clear. Stoppages, all stoppages in the game were under your control. Cooperation with linesmen, the scene for cooperation was set in the dressing room, fire to the kickoff, and then summary. This was a derby game played in front of a large vocal crowd. Control of players was exercised from the kickoff. So at that time, in 1991, we didn't get a mark. Ah. We got we were marked, but we didn't see it. This is like how uh, Uber used to be. You couldn't see your passenger rating from uh, from the drivers. Yeah. Uh, I but mean, look, I don't save them because they're good, because I'd like to pick... I mean, there's all the, all the games. So Wigan Athletic, Birmingham, throughout this game, there was a clarity and consistency of your law interpretation. So I think you'll understand. This is when you receive this, you know, the game's taking place on a Saturday. The, the assessor has spoken to you immediately after the game. And then on the Monday, Tuesday, you receive your report. So that, that report is, is a brilliant insight into what assessors are actually looking for in terms of, of a referee. And are they, they similar now uh, in terms of the criteria they're looking for? Are there any extra ones that have been added in these days? Mike, this is one of my biggest criticisms. At the Premier League and Championship, they no longer have assessors. So this is a myth. So when we hear commentators going, oh, that's a decision that's been made, he's got the yellow card out for, 
X, Y, or Z reason because the assessor's watching and therefore, you know, he's he's got to do it. No. Not a, not a thing. No. I mean, Mike Riley did away with assessors a couple of three years ago in terms of the Premier League and the Championship. And they do it through a review system. It takes away that personal touch. It takes away... Look, Ken Dagnall was a referee I admired. Can you imagine having a positive report from Ken Dagnall? What a, what a major boost that is to your confidence. Can you imagine having a negative report from Ken Dagnall and a comment that says you could have applied the laws in a more consistent manner? Do you think you ignore it? You actually absorb that and maybe pick the phone up and say, Ken, can you be more specific? What, what are you looking for? And sometimes, you know, they tell you, they tell you, look, fitness was never a problem with me, although I started putting weight on towards the end of my career. But, but in reality, I do think that moving assessors out of the remit of the, P, of the Premier League and the Championship was a, was a poor move. So that tier of advice, written commentary, doesn't matter about the mark. I'm not interested in the mark. I'm interested in him confirming that I've had a reasonable game. Or if I've had an indifferent game, he'll tell me why I've had an indifferent game. And, they do, and, and that's what they used to do. Well, it's the sort of insight we're going to see an awful lot of on seeing them given through the season. Really looking forward, Keith, to debating the big decisions throughout the year on the podcast. Before we go, though, we've got to get your answer to the poser that we put at the start. So just a reminder, it is the last minute of a hotly contested local derby. Scores at 1-1, the home side winner stoppage time penalty. Now, the home team striker, who was booked earlier in the match, coolly slots in what must surely be the winner and celebrates by removing his shirt and giving it to a young fan in the stands. The away team's captain argues that this should be the home striker's second booking. But as you consider the situation, you notice the striker is wearing an identical second shirt beneath the one he gave away. Keith, what do you do? You apply the laws in, in a common sense way. First of all, it's, the goal is scored, so it stands. I'm not going to retake it for this particular offence. It's, it's towards the end of the game. You will get some referees who will say, right, he's taken the shirt off, so I'm going to caution him and give his second yellow and red. Me, I would, it's about, do you see it or you don't see it? And, and I would not get involved. I, he's, he's doing something. He's celebrating. Yep, he's bounced the law because he's taken his shirt off, right? There's one minute to go, and this is where I think referees in the modern era, need to apply common sense. And often they will. And that is, I don't want to know. Game's over. Um, let's, let's go and have a cup of tea. And, you know, but if the guy suddenly says, right, I'm giving you a, a second yellow, goal is good, I'm giving you a second yellow, followed by a red, then he's, he's applied the law correctly. I hope he gets off the field of play. <laughs> Keith, thank you so much. If you got the answer correct, or you matched Keith's answer anyway, congratulations. Uh, if you've got a question for Keith, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can get in touch 
with the show. And there's loads of things that we can talk about. If you're a young referee and you want some advice, you can ask a question. If you want to ask about a decision that happened in a local game and, and whether the, the law was applied correctly, send us an email. If you want to propose one of these scenarios to Keith and, and get us all thinking, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is how you can do that. If you stayed with us for the whole show, thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, we'll have new episodes of Seen Them Given every week, usually on a Monday. And again, if you've enjoyed the show, please give us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It will help other people discover us. For now, though, thank you so much for your company. and We'll see you next time.